mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey everyone, just to be aware that in this episode we talk more about contemporary culture, such as the White Lotus and Succession, so if you're hesitant about receiving spoilers on those things, maybe uh, proceed with caution. Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline. I'm currently working for a non-profit while living off my family trust. And you'll never catch her carrying a ludicrously capacious bag. It's Jenny Jackson. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for having me. So this is, I, I'm, I'm very interested in what we're talking about today because when I tell this podcast into people... I often say that like it started from a place of like a guilty pleasure podcast, but really what it is is I don't believe in the guilty pleasure, that kind of old, you know, song and dance. And what this is actually is, is kind of an emotional journey through the pop culture that women love. But when it comes to culture about rich people, I genuinely do feel guilty. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> because I love it. And I should not. But you're supposed to feel shame, absolute yeah. shame over that. Yeah. Okay, so... You've written a wonderful novel about uh, the super wealthy in New York, Jenny. What are your favorite super wealthy content culture things to absorb? So I watched every episode of White Lotus mm -hmm. with complete and total fixation and obsession. I went down White Lotus rabbit holes and then I didn't want spoilers. So I had to deprive myself of those rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. White Lotus, I am all up to date on Succession. Mm -hmm. I saw what you did there with the capacious bag. <laughs> um, those are sort of, I would say, my um, highbrow rich people mm -hmm. content. I also, um, the menu was highbrow mm -hmm. rich people content. And then I am also a passionate viewer of the Bravo universe, mm -hmm. including Below Deck and The Real Housewives. I'm actually fairly snobby about which Real Housewives franchises I enjoy. I only enjoy Beverly Hills and New York because they are genuinely rich. Mm -hmm. Other Housewife franchises I don't think are rich enough to be actually enjoyable as garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's very interesting. Interesting distinction there. Um, I Yeah, I would say to White Lotus Succession... Certainly a period drama where people are sort of um, gossiping about one another behind fans at balls. If there's a fan involved, yes. If there's a fan. <laughs> and also, it's interesting because, um, you know, going back to the ludicrously capacious bag, which Succession fans will know as, um, you know, Tom Wamsgams, who is like the kind of the Becky Sharp of the Succession universe, um, someone who's like trying to crawl their way up the greasy pole and is currently trying to hold on to power even though he might be divorcing the rich person that he's married to. Um, he clocks Greg for bringing this, someone who he identifies as being a climber and points out the ludicrously capacious bag. She's, ha she's, she's holding this enormous handbag and, um, you know, as Tom sort of makes fun of him, like, oh, is she kind of carrying... 
trainers for the subway kind yes. of thing, right? That was the part that killed me yeah. because don't we all feel like embarrassed that we can't just walk around the city all the time wearing four inch heels? And yes, yet, there's that moment outside the venue when I slip off my flats and I put on the high heels and I am so scared that someone I know is going to see me doing that. To me, that is like more embarrassing than putting on like deodorant in public. I'm like, oh my God, I'm changing my shoes before the event. I will do it like two corners away and then hobble around the corners. Yeah, or definitely there's something as well about like the, and I don't work in office anymore, but when I did of like, you're going to the event after the office, but you went to the gym before the office. So you've got basically a rucksack over a cocktail dress, over a bomber jacket. (laughs) Totally. It's like, I'm Melody Griffith. (laughs) I'm the working girl. And that's kind of why I think that um, the the quick, witty men of succession are particularly good and evil at pointing out the things that would make a woman feel absolutely the worst. Like when um, Shiv walked in in the last episode, Roman turned and said, you look tired. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Or you changed your hair. I hate it. (laughs) Yes. It's like, oh my God, that was so mean. It's so true. It's very bitchy. Yeah. Yeah. Effortlessly bitchy. Yes. In in the way that like, I think it completely, it's not, it doesn't mimic boardroom drama more so that it mimics kind of stuff that's set in the 1800s. Yes. (laughs) But it's it's more like Caroline Bingley than anything else, you know? It is. The weird thing is, is that like, you know, Every every episode, every week, Succession drops. Then, like, thousands of TikToks, thousands of Instagram reels. Like, it's so many hot takes. And I remember looking at it and um, people dissecting that comment that Tom made about this handbag that, that, that you know, you and I probably couldn't even afford. But, right. like, the, the kind of the attitude and the lifestyle that it depicts. And the, um, the, the tone of that critique was like, Tom really fucking pounded this bitch. <laughs> kind of like, oh, Tom called her out. Tom gets it kind of thing. And it was like, wow, that, I don't know whether you're like, I listened to Lucy Preble speak about it. And she was like, I was surprised by how many people were like weirdly on Tom's side about like identifying this woman's sort of interloper qualities right no I mean when I saw that it just made me hurt so much that Tom hurts so much that he (laughs) has to see that in other people you know his his desperation is showing exactly and so it's like we and the reason I'm sort of like uh launching on that moment specifically is that it said something a lot to me about the amount of rich people content that we're watching and I think we're telling ourselves we're enjoying the kind of the the satire of it, I guess. The like, oh god, these people with their problems and they don't they're, they're enormous millions. They don't use a Schadenfreude kind of thing, right? Yeah. But also, I think there's a part of us that is obsessed with rich people content because we see ourselves as millionaires to be always, and we see people, characters pointing out the foibles of others of like nouveau riche people being like well i would never i would never do that when i become a millionaire myself yes i mean what i mean absolutely there are all of these rules that we want to absorb about how to be rich in the right way and Mm -hmm. there's humor to be found in people doing rich in the wrong way and one of the episodes recently of um, Below Deck of the new season, a bunch of beauty queens come on to um, Below Deck for for uh, for a yacht cruise, and um, one of them is this woman Laquiche, 
who the entire episode basically focuses on making this guest, Laquiche, look like an awful person. And she does things like ask for the chef to make her a turkey club sandwich that then she doesn't actually eat. She does that twice. And then she asks for a steak covered in gold foil. And I mean, I think we can all agree that like a steak covered in gold foil is is fairly gauche from most perspectives uh-huh. like you can't you can't digest that that's awful but the point of the episode is to give the viewer glee watching a rich person not do it right yes you know yes. like oh gross she's bad at being rich ha yeah. ha ha that there's something very enjoyable about that because it is gross and gauche and like all that but it's like something about watching people bad, bad, bad being rich is mortifying but satisfying right yes i remember reading something about donald trump once where he was saying he's someone it was like a profile where someone was interviewing like many people who had known and worked for him over the years there was a time in our there was a time in our recent history where you simply couldn't get away from journalism like that <laughs> truly <laughs> truly and he said something about that um he is the most unsensual person i have ever met oh yeah to the sense that like he, he literally does not notice having senses he doesn't notice smell or touch or taste. He just wants things to be the most expensive thing they can be. Yeah. And when you talk about gold foil steak, right? It's like yes. that that gold foil has no taste. Yes. Just like you. Yes. <laughs> right. And it's interesting because with Donald Trump, like all, you know, his famous gold toilets mm-hmm. and, you know, gilded name all over the city of New York, we understand that he is bad at being rich because he is gaudy. And, and mm-hmm. that is gross. But also, it's hilarious because instead of despising him for being rich, we spend all of this energy talking about how he's not actually really rich and yeah. how this went bankrupt and this went bankrupt. And so in some ways, his detractors, it's like we can't decide whether we hate him for being gross and rich and bad at being rich or because he's not really rich. <laughs> I know. I know, right? Like, it, it's so interesting watching those conversations unfold because all of us are millionaires in training in our heads, right? Yeah. Um, and regardless of how likely to absolutely unlikely that is, we all have the same mindset that we don't want to... Um, push away the class with which we hope to someday join or something. So yes. you, you, when these cultural moments happen, whether it is succession or Donald Trump or whatever, or, or arguing whether or not Elon Musk is a self-made man, <laughs> she is not. It, 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 it has a sort of circularity, these kinds of discussions when I witness them online. Um, and I, uh, the one I'm thinking about the most at the moment is to go back to succession, Connor Roy, which is particularly in the most recent season, it's really hard and they do it not to feel sorry for that yeah that man it's yeah. like 50 60 year old man who's you know father he never liked me you know yeah. whose mother was taken away you know never been given any love at all and it's heartbreaking to watch because it's a wonderful performance and then you see people have these um uh reactions to it online and and this is why I think Succession has moved from being something that was just a show about rich people to being a piece of art that has true utility because people see their own damage reflected in it. Yeah. And they'll write something online and they like, this is, reminds me of the dynamic I had with my parents, my father, uh. my lovers, my, you know, and they, and they respond and they react. And then inevitably the response to that will be, you realize you're sympathizing with somebody <laughs> who's evil, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
a billionaire corrupt da, 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 da. and then it kind of goes circular around and around and then what it never seems to get to is maybe people shouldn't have that much money to begin with yes yes and and the thing that i hadn't really thought about until now is the way that actually so many of the characters on that show are trying to buy love they're trying to buy the thing they weren't given you know so connor obviously is buying love by paying for a prostitute to marry him Mm -hmm. connor is trying to buy love to get his one percent in the polls running for president yeah Um, literally buying love yeah buying love and then you know we see um you know the too much birthday party episode from last season which was shattering as kendall threw himself the most over-the-top birthday party of all time and the gifts that were given him just, I mean, beyond anything you could feel comfortable ever seeing. And yet it was this awful, soul-destroying day for him. And I mean, I don't know, is that them trying to give us, teach us a lesson? You can't buy love? I mean, we all know that. Or is it just letting us enjoy how broken they are so we can feel better about not being rich? Well, this is the thing. This is where I get back to the guiltiness of this particular guilty pleasure because I would say a huge amount of the television I watch, particularly television, I think, because I think that is the sort of dominant art form of today. (laughs) We, You and I would like to think it's books because we both work (laughs) in books, but we both know it's television. (laughs) Um, I would say the majority of television I watch is is about very rich people. Um, and I do feel guilty about that because these shows that go out of their way to humanize the super rich and to show us that it doesn't, you cannot buy love and there is a hollowness to the center of it and also places those, that entertainment within a context where, you know, the middle class is shrinking poverty is growing, but also the 1% is also growing. So it's like, it's become this oddly sort of hourglass shape in terms of how our class system now currently works in the Western world, Um, where it's like, it's, I now have so much content where I uh, empathize with the 1% and almost none where I'm empathizing with the other end of the hourglass, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, what do I, what do I do with that? And if I am watching content about people who, who are, you know, poor, it's almost like as a sorbet for the content about the rich. It's like those, those, um, sex worker characters in the White Lotus, right? Right. That is the little sorbet you have in there. The only good people in that whole show, the only ones who you could, well, you know, there is also a trope in the White Lotus that I think we see in other rich people genres too, where Albie, who is, you know, what is he, 19 or something? Yeah. Albie is the the son of the terrible rich man. And Albie is still not yet morally corrupted by his wealth. Mm-hmm. Albie is still pure. And uh, over the course of, you know, the season, we watch him, his purity sort of uh, be taken away on a sexual level. And then we watch mm-hmm. for him to try and either preserve or not his emotional purity because he sort of he trades right like he basically makes a trade where he gives his mother back to his father he makes a dirty compromise yes yes to try and save the prostitute who mm-hmm. he is he's fallen for but so i i do think there is a trope among like the rich people are awful genre where um where some of the the youth are still yes. are still okay. Same on the first season of White Lotus, right? The, yeah. the young guy. I actually haven't seen the first season, but but go ahead. Well, the there is um, one member of the family where you know um, 
the the terrible teen sister and her friend are just wretched people and forever kind of tormenting the teenage brother and at the end basically I don't even know if I need to spoil it, but he he rejects everything his family stands for. So again, mm-hmm. it's like two series in a row. Two, they sort of make the teenage boy the only one with a soul in a family of yes horrible rich people. To- yeah, no, there's definitely a trope of that, right? But then there's the inevitable thing of like, it's kind of like... I, I listened to this incredible interview with um, Abigail Disney. Oh, know? I love her. I was so inspired by yeah. an article she wrote for The Atlantic. She's incredible. She, yeah. yeah. So um, do you want to give a brief intro to who she, who she is? Sure. So she is heir to the great Disney fortune, but she's been a social activist who talks about how basically generational wealth is a poison in our culture. Yes. At the, but also uh, um, being very public about the fact that and I haven't, I haven't given up my trust either because what's the good in that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like she's got, it occupies a very interesting gray area that she herself observes, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah, she wrote the the uh, the article in the Atlantic was called something like how I was raised to protect my dynastic wealth and it was yes. about how she has um without even realizing it been encouraged to marry within her own tribe because of all the many trials and tribulations of when you marry outside your tribe. And on the surface, it's things are awkward and they won't understand and they can't keep up and they'll make you feel used. But also, you're going to dilute your dynastic wealth if you marry somebody who doesn't come from a different dynasty. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And it's like, again, it's these things, these patterns that we've seen in like 18th century novels just repeat and repeat with different clothes on. Yes. And it's something that you write a lot about in your novel, Pineapple Street, which is about told through the point of view of three different women um, from the same dynastic. No, no. Well, two of the women are yeah. are sisters in the dynastic wealth family and one of them has married in. And um, one of my sort of favorite things about the book is that this character, Sasha, who... I would think, I think the novel starts with her. Yes. And it, you know, the average reader is going to identify with her the most, right? And she's just moved into this uh, four-story limestone in Brooklyn Heights with her husband who is from this family and for anybody reading that on the on page three you're like well that this lady hit the jackpot this Rhode Island lady from like lower middle class stock has hit the jackpot and then the deal gets so much worse in such an annoying real way so it's like they're they're living in this four-story house that was the family home of this this uh big I've forgotten their last name the Stockton the Stockton yes yeah. the Stocktons um but they refused to move anything out so every room that the girl the daughters were in is still totally preserved and like all the tennis trophies are still everywhere there's like bags of baby teeth coming out of like armoires and things it like and the more you get into it even though she's like living in this palace you're like this sounds horrible this woman can't do anything without being judged and I just thought it was this wonderful addition to the tradition of being rich ain't that fun. <laughs> Being rich ain't that fun. And I was so interested in how this middle class girl would or wouldn't be accepted into this old money wasp family. And then one of the other siblings, Darley, has married a Korean American man. He's second generation. His parents moved over from Korea. But Malcolm grew up with money mm-hmm. and also has made a lot of money. And so I was sort of having fun writing 
showing how in some ways it's easier for this man who is culturally superficially Mm -hmm. different from the family to assimilate into wasp life than it is for somebody who has grown up lower middle class. And I think that's really actually oddly true in America right now. I mean, we are obviously a deeply racist country and back to Trump. He is an incredibly racist person. But you'll notice that the extremely wealthy just kind of um, are in a different category. And so the our, our cultural racism doesn't seem mm. to apply in the same way when people are rich. You see Trump, mm-hmm. you know, having great friends who are people of color who are rich. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how our biases bounce off of each other and yes. what, you know, I guess what in a family feels easier to assimilate to or blend with or not. And also when I when I read that character in your book, a part of me also thought that like there is a gendered thing to it too, wherein that when a woman is marrying into a rich family, there is a, a narrative already there of like what a gold digger is. Like the, yes. the sisters call her it's the gold woman. digger, even yeah. though she's just, just some lady who went to art school and yeah. is trying to get her head around this She thing. just met a guy at a bar. She liked him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and I, and I how... Uh, and then I think with the with this other character, this man who marries in, Malcolm? Malcolm. Good for me. Yeah. <laughs> Generally, I'm, I find it very hard to remember character <laughs> names. Um kind of didn't sign this prenup that they have and um, sort of made his own way and refused to partake in the family money that also has a kind of nobility on it. So I just, yeah, I found it fascinating how ready we are to root for men in general. <laughs> yes, truly. Well, you know, I'm I'm calling back to just the episode of Below Deck that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. where Lakeish has asked for the club sandwiches yeah. and the steak covered in gold. And I'm just like... Something I haven't figured out quite how to articulate is that there's also just a fair amount of racism at play in Mm -hmm. that episode because Lakeisha is one of the few black charter guests Mm -hmm. on a predominantly white yacht. And so I think there is some, you know, they keep mispronouncing her name, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, racist 101 and um, feeling this disdain for her you know, as she asks for more and more. And so, I mean, I think Below Deck is actually rife with like problematic cultural moments Mm. every time you know in pineapple street i have many a theme dinner and i think i love i love that rich people do theme dinners below (laughs) deck is full of theme dinners theme dinners are always like on the edge of socially appropriate or uncomfortable (laughs) i feel like every time you throw a theme dinner and there's a hat involved like oh my god you're probably doing something wrong i'm so i feel so privileged to never have attended a theme dinner (laughs) i have definitely attended a theme dinner for um an investment banker who was going off to work in china and his mother threw a theme dinner at their Wilton home, which was also a horse farm. And on this elaborate tablescape, she had um, traditional um, Chinese farmer hats for everybody at the table. No! Yeah, so there were a lot of white people taking pictures wearing traditional Chinese hats. No. It was was really (laughs) awful. I was like, I I will not be in a photo, and I'm probably going to go home immediately after this. Oh, dear. Scrub myself. God, God. <laughs> I was just thinking of that embarrassing little dinner party in Julie and Julia, but that was... 
wait, what happens in the Julie and Julia? There's a thing where she turns 30, where the Amy Adams character turns 30 and she um, is trying to do a sort of dinner party that Julia Childs did with kind of like 50s outfits and things. And it's miserable. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. You're right. There is an edge of uncomfortability and desperation when you're asking people to eat in costume. Truly, truly. Like, stop and look. What are, what, are, what are your goals for this dinner party? Yeah, party in costume, <laughs> eat in clothes. <laughs> I, I think that's a good rule to live by. I think it is. Forget my live, laugh, love sign in my kitchen. <laughs> that's my new sign. But what do you think it is, going back to this sort of, like, empathy gap that we have coached ourselves to have, where we can feel sorry for people who commit white-collar crime? Yeah. Like we we watched what's so interesting with shows like that, like something like Succession, how it makes the audience complicit in in sort of covering up. And I think it's a lot to do with how it's shot, that sort of like almost mockumentary type way where you're like you're going in really close on facial expressions and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like, you know, we saw them cover up cruises. Yes. Uh, we w- And we didn't want them to get caught. No, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. Whereas, like, th- th- there's, you know, if we look at the kind of crimes at the other end of the spectrum, like, for example, a big a big phrase among the conservative media in this country is benefit fraud, for example. Oh. Which is, like, you know, uh, people yep. lying about how much social security they can have or whatever, sure. or the threat of that happening. And, like, there's no... There's no question that white collar crime happens and there's no question that benefit fraud actually also happens. But the the the, the fear of it, the rev, like the revulsion of it. Yes. The oh my god our our country is broken of it yeah. is weighted completely towards one. Because I think that there is there is a disdain towards welfare fraud whereas with white collar crime there is a little bit of the sense that they probably could have gotten away with it. They nearly got yeah. away with it. If they had done something else, they would have gotten away with it. There's a weird, um, there's a weird almost admiration. Yeah, right. And I, ju- I just think a lot like, oh, if we had a, a drama about like lower middle class people where one of the characters was pretending that their husband didn't live with them or their boyfriend didn't live with them in order to get more money off the state. Yeah. I think everyone would fucking lose their lid. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. They would lose their lid. <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. And and they probably wouldn't be wearing Shiv's like gorgeous sheath <laughs> gowns while doing it. So the the clothing end of it wouldn't be working in her favor either. I just it, I I it's and what, what do you think it is? <laughs> Apart from we're thinking us thinking that we're millionaires in training on some level. I think there's something else going on. I mean, and the admiration of the skill, I guess, the quote unquote skill of white collar crime. I think that most. Well, okay, so I was going to say, I think that most white collar crime is committed by people who have had advantages, who have generational wealth, etc. I'm thinking for a moment about inventing Anna and Mm -hmm. the um, the is it Anna Sorkin? Is yes. that her name? So the the scammer who um, was a an Eastern European um, immigrant who sort of scammed her way into getting investment money for a social club mm-hmm. and that never existed, and then you know scammed her way out of hotel bills and really just lied, cheated, and stole and and. Um, 
fooled mm-hmm. all of these rich people in New York who thought she was also a rich person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to see um, no sympathy, really, yeah. for her. I think <laughs> that people think she's a sociopath. Really? Because she... Um, yeah, I think she... Yeah. yeah, I think they do. She yeah. was... She was poor and pretended to be rich. Mm-hmm. Boo. Uh, and she um, and she stole from actual rich people. Boo. Like, what? Yeah. Wait, this should be Robin Hood. Why are we actually exactly. so outraged? Totally, right? And it's like um, there was a huge thirst for her, like, getting like 25 to life as if she'd like murdered babies yes i mean the drawings and illustrations and fashion chronicling of her trial like we wanted to see her pay for what she did but really i mean she is robin hood she is yeah she was she was stealing from the rich and giving to herself and giving to herself right and giving herself a vacation in morocco but still (laughs) but i think um but what i was getting at is that i think that Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com there in terms of white collar crime it's like we almost have more forgiveness for rich people who made a little error in their math Mm -hmm. as they were seeking to enrich themselves and less sympathy for an eastern european immigrant who was seeking to enrich herself by lying and some of that is just because of our inability to actually question the system our inability to actually question the man it's just too baked into our psyche that there is a hierarchy and so rich people are meant to stay rich because they are rich and it's this thing of like yeah unable to question hierarchies and systems is is preying on my mind a lot because it feels like that particularly the 2008 financial crash that literally zero lessons were learned from it it's like Obviously, I lived in Ireland where it, people were heavily affected, where I feel like I just li- witnessed the closure of my home city like overnight. Well, I think also we build up this um, fallacy that it was a few bad actors, you yeah. know, that, oh, these few people who made irresponsible trades lost us hundreds of millions of dollars. Why on earth was it set up that way in the first place? You know, yeah. I think that we have this I mean, it's it's baked into our system that when things go wrong, we find like two or three people to scapegoat. But it's sort of kept us from having a more global understanding of what went wrong yeah. and and how we have found ourselves in this place by, you know, anytime there is a huge crisis, somehow a few people come out as the guilty parties when obviously it takes more than a few people. Right. And it also takes 
everyone believing in the same dream together. Yeah, right. right. Like Bernie Madoff obviously yeah. did something awful. But how is it that he's the only one who's walked yeah. away famous for doing something wrong? You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it does baffle me in this idea that like capitalism was just like this negligent prince, but we still believe in the monarchy. You know, we're yeah, just like. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, you know what? It's a good system. <laughs> totally. Totally. You know, and I think that even though um, we watch Succession knowing that these are bad people, mm-hmm. there is so much um, reveling in the swagger of it. Yeah. And I know that there are a lot of finance bros who watch and love that mm-hmm. show. And sure, I guess they do also see that they're bad people, but they are also like elated by watching what's happening behind closed doors in uh, you know among the super wealthy and in the upper echelons of business you know I have friends who I graduated from college in 2001 and really like people my age were going into finance when I first moved to New York I had three roommates who all worked at Morgan Stanley and um They were making six figures and they were, you know, working all weekend on big deals. And when their team would win or when they would have to woo a client, they would bring them to strip clubs to Mm -hmm. scores or they would take them golfing. And I was working with women who I mean, living with women who the last thing they wanted to be doing was going to scores or working on a Saturday night or whatever. But there were these macho macho cultures Mm. in investment banking and a lot of that has gone away and I had a candid conversation with a friend recently who still works in investment banking who was sort of like lamenting the days gone by like well we can't haze you know the young people the way that we were hazed and I think there is like a genuine nostalgia among Gen X elder millennial men for these days of finance when the stuff that we're seeing behind the scenes in succession was really happening and was the norm. And mm-hmm. like, you know, because they all had to pay their dues, like they love watching cousin Greg just be like emotionally beaten. <laughs> yes. And they there's a part of like I, I watched uh, succession with my partner and a, a scene he loves is the whole bore on the, the floor. The bore on the floor. Thing. I was going to reference that. Men love that they scene. Love it. Yeah. I would never watch. I watched that episode once and I don't think I'd, I'd probably skip it out yeah. if I was doing a rewatch because it makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think there's a little bit of men who sort of think, and I don't mean all men, but a certain kind of straight guy who enjoys male bonding through trauma. Yes. <laughs> that is like, I kind of want that to happen in a place I'm at. Totally. It's like the the rich person equivalent of like, you know, going all Braveheart on each other or something. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's bizarrely aspirational. But this is like a, an almost a separate breakout conversation about how I don't understand male bonding in general. <laughs> Here, here. No. They have to suffer something together. Totally. Yes. Bizarre. Hard pass. Yeah. Hard, hard pass. I wouldn't be one if you paid me. And they're not. But they would. They they're would not. Pay they're you. actually you charging be better. Me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm interested when you did the, um, when you were writing the book, because um, it's a lovely, it's a, it's a real chill hang, your book. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real nice like because it's so there's so many delectable little set pieces and they're always going from like one fundraiser to one wedding to another and it's all just like this is one bit that I was when I was rereading today this bit where 
this one of the characters is talking to somebody who's just bought a private jet. Yeah. And he says, "What's the, some some phrase that is apparently common among rich people? If you can." If it floats, flies, or fucks, rent Rent it. Rent it, yes. Oh my God, you got it. Exactly. Real phrase. Yes. So where are you getting this from? Um, This is from a friend who is an investment banker who flies his own planes. And he does not own his own plane because of aforementioned aphorism. Um, But he... uh, he started out working in um, aviation investment banking and got super into it and got really into flying his own planes. And uh-huh. when I was writing the book, he was like such a wealth of information because not only did he tell me a ton about aviation investment banking, which is a plot line with Malcolm, but also because he has spent 20 years being steeped in the world of rich people and finance mm-hmm. uh, he he really gave me sort of like a an emotional download into a lot of what powers that engine yeah in the book and what i'm curious about and i haven't had a chance to ask you yet which is it's such um an affectionate portrait yeah this is not like a glass onion scenario like you no. love these people i can yeah. tell that you love them and and you know, they can say things very ironically, just like jet fuel was in their veins, you know. Yes. <laughs> they just loved and like with no real environmental sort of backslide or whatever. No, no, no it's just like, no, it's just <sighs> wonderful to fly. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And even Malcolm, who is like a good guy in the book, like that's his future, you know. Yeah. yeah. Just powering an industry that's destroying the world. Totally. <sighs> yes. Yes. So I so um so was a decision to what was the decision in the tone of this book then well frankly i would like to have my cake and eat it too um <laughs> i wanted to i wanted to catch more flies with honey i wanted to write a novel where people loved the characters but that also asked some tricky questions about income inequality and just mm-hmm. the moral nature of inherited wealth um And so I sort of do that by having one of my characters have a crisis of conscience. Um, She sort of goes the Abigail Disney route of of saying, you know, inherited wealth is immoral. And she comes around to that point. The other characters, um, spoiler alert, not everyone gets there. Um, But I thought that it would be, I think we have seen, we've seen succession. We've seen White Lotus. We've seen depictions of the morally bankrupt ugly, wealthy from the outside, what would it be like to go on the inside and write about good people who have been blinded by their privilege Mm. and who have their eyes opened? Because honestly, like, if you were born, if you were born really, really rich, and you grew up in this coddled environment surrounded by other people who went to your boarding school, other people who went to your business school, other Mm. people at your tennis club, what would be your wake up call? When would you look around and be like, oh, my God, I can't live like this. I have no hope Mm. of feeling like a good person if I live like this. So to me, that was sort of more interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think it is more interesting. It's it's one of the reasons why I find I found like the glass onion very boring. It was kind of funny, I guess. But I was like, this is such a a 2D um depiction of and such a caricature and there's yeah. so little depth that yes. it's just it's like an SNL sketch sketch that's run on for two and a half hours yeah a little yeah um and and that's why that's the addictive nature of like your white lotuses and your yes whatever 
Um, there's something as well about like the that I was really struck by with White Lotus, with also Pineapple Street, with with a lot of this stuff. It's like um, when there are no practical problems in a person's life, in a fictional character's life, all of the issues therefore have to be existential. Yes. And so all the issues that happen on the White Lotus are like, you know, why aren't we connecting enough? Why why, do, why, why is our marriage failing? Why, why can't we have sex anymore? Yeah, yeah. Why don't you love your mother? Why are we in this beautiful place and yet we cannot sort of connect or whatever? And so it's like, as as viewers who watch these things who do have material struggles, yeah, it becomes, it's almost like the wealth turns it into a better stage or something because yeah. it's not it's not being crowded by characters going to work characters doing with this or whatever it's just oh, this big stage for yeah. like what happened that's a very common thing it's like what happens when your spouse doesn't want to fuck you anymore yeah. kind of thing yeah you know yeah and so it's almost like we're yeah it, it sets a beautiful stage for the biggest anxieties that normal humans have i love looking at it that way i think that you know, to be honest, I hit a moment when I was writing where, you know, um, Darley's husband, Malcolm, loses his job. And because they've signed away their trust fund, their lifestyle is going to have to change until he, if unless he gets another job. Mm-hmm. But I sort of felt from like a, um, a plot perspective, a worrying absence of true um, drama because I was like, mm. but like, so what? They'll just tell her parents and her yeah. parents will pay you know, their mortgage until he gets a new job. And so, you know, it the story becomes more wrapped up in why she won't tell her parents and what that says to Malcolm about her acceptance of him in their family. So it does become, mm. as you said, much more yes. a, a crystallized thing about their relationship. But it was actually super interesting from a plot construction standpoint to say, if money is not an issue... Where the yeah. hell is the problem? Exactly. And it forces you to go deeper and deeper into psychology. It's like if you've got a, a woman who's telling her husband there's nothing to be ashamed of, but also she's embarrassed by it enough yeah. that she won't tell her family. It's yes. like two conflicting things that are so exposed. Yeah. You know? Well, that was one of the reasons that um, I wrote the book in close third person, because if you're rotating point of view and you are um, and you know what everybody's thinking, then the narrator and the reader get to play around in the area of misunderstanding mm-hmm. because that's where the friction is between the characters. What what did they each think of a situation they were all in and how did they see it differently? Yes. You know? Yes. That was, that's, yeah, I love that about it. Particularly just, <laughs> I just loved reading like poor Ernest little Sasha and then the two sisters being like, fuck this gold digging Totally. Totally. <laughs> so fun. Isn't it? But I, and now I'm thinking back in succession in that moment where Roman is having to fire Jerry and you see him just put his head against the wall and that's like a moment only between the viewer and Roman nobody else sees that nobody else knows what he's going through those moments are kind of few and far between on that show Mm. but when they punch they really do they really do I mean it's just it's just very very good it is it is (laughs) but you know what's funny I think it is one of the best shows and it's one of the best ones I watch I don't always love watching it because sometimes it makes me feel awful specifically how I feel yucky like I need Mm -hmm. a shower like I've spent time with horrible people and I um 
don't want to be around them. Mm -hmm. And then seven days later, I just log in for that next session of it. But it's like, I love it, but it makes me feel yucky. I know. (laughs) Yeah. There, um, and do you feel the same way about, say, something that has a succession structure but is set in a prettier way, like a an Austin? Right. No, I, no. I, I don't. No. Or even, you know, like every Nancy Myers film where they are living yes. in a house that clearly costs millions and millions of dollars. To me, those are the funny ones because when you're watching like – so many movies of our youth. I'm I'm just going to start with Father of the Bride. Um, oh my god. Love it I so love it. much. There's no moment where they're like, "Hey, this is a rich family." And mm-hmm. you know, I watched that as a child, so I wasn't like, "This is a rich family." I was like, "Look at their beautiful house where they're having a wedding and they're going to have swans and geese at the wedding and they have a basketball court in their yard." And it was never like this is a rich family and I think that that's one of the like ridiculous things about movie making culture is that of course like all of those movies we want to see unfold in beautiful kitchens and beautiful homes mm-hmm. and you know like um like wedding crashers like this is a ridiculously rich family that's not the point of it though you just are watching these stories unfold in beautiful places and it feels normal. And then you turn it off and you look around your own kitchen and you're (laughs) like, oh my God, my dishwasher's broken and I haven't dealt with that, you know? But it's so, it's so baked in all the time. Yeah, and that was, that was our culture for so long. And I think it is starting to tweak now where where people note it more to one another, like characters will. But you're right, that Father of the Bride thing, having rewatched it fairly recently, there is a scene where Annie falls asleep reading a wedding magazine. He picks it up and he reads what he's like, how to save money. And it's like, bake your own wedding cake or something. And he's like, crestfallen. Oh my God, that's <laughs> like, ridiculous. It's such a sad moment. He's like, oh my God, I've made my daughter, who's 20, <laughs> feel so bad about her expensive wedding that she's reading tips on how to make it cheaper. Oh and my he's God. so chastened. She should totally have made her own wedding cake. Right? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it is it is hilarious, right? All these things that are baked into our culture, like you're supposed to have a sweet 16 party, or I think somehow I genuinely thought that I was supposed to get a car for my 16th birthday. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I bought my own first car. It was $7,000 and it broke down. But it's like baked in a weird way into popular culture that these are things that happen to people when like that's not what happens to normal people that's outrageous but but and like that's the thing it's like the constant stream of things about rich people think like it's it's poisoning us certainly and like if you're if you live in the uk you might know that like the bbc has a certain amount of uh, a quota that they have to fill in terms of not setting things in london so setting things all over the country Mm. um and 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 having a more like economically diverse yeah. sort of representation and every single person I know who works in television is like for fuck's sake they want to set it in fucking Liverpool <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's such a funny a funny thing of like trying trying to make this representation of this entire country and like and all the kinds of economical um, layers of it and yet TV writers They just want to write about rich people. Well, it's right. You think about some of the comedies of the 80s and 90s, like Married with Children or um, Roseanne, Mm -hmm. which were very much lower middle class Mm -hmm. comedies. And then I would say, you know, 
really network TV is not where it's at right now, but like there could be sort of a modern family. You could say that's like today's equivalent of Married with Children, but They're they're rich, right? It's the same actor, but like they're rich, you know? And I don't think now, if you look at any of the premium streamers, I can't think of a normal domestic comedy that is set in the lower middle class. I was trying to think about this this morning. I was like, what are the TV show on the air? It's about a lower middle class family. And I could think of one. And it's The Simpsons. The Simpsons. Yeah, (laughs) completely. Yes. And I think that there is some sort of um, romanticism of young people in their 20s living in bad apartments and being broke. That's perfectly allowed. But in, you know, in our television culture, by the time you're an adult and have children, you're supposed to live in like, you know, the big little lies like mansions along the cliffs of California. And that's actually Big Little Lies is a funny one to stick a pin in because I feel like rich people content for years and years we understood to be like Dynasty in Dallas, right? Yeah. It's yep. like kind of camp and drink throwing and big and loud and and then I feel like Big Little Lies it did feel like a sea change of the sort of the existential woes yeah. of the super rich. Yes. But that felt, I I know that that show came out, I think, probably five or six years ago, but it felt like it immediately changed the look and feel of how we demonstrate this kind of, like, goop-adjacent, female, plushy kind of, like, I have wonderful things, but what does it mean? Totally, (laughs) yes. And also the sort of um, goop as what wealth should look like, you know, that it's... Goop is like actually, I think, um, kind of the pinnacle in that it is cashmere in muted colors yeah. and face oils that make you look like you're not wearing makeup and plastic surgery that is so subtle as to make you just look like you look really good. It's all mm. about being subtly rich rather yes. than back to the gold toilets. This is a very interesting conversation now about Botox. Yes. Because this is a, a, I had a very interesting conversation with a friend the other day who was talking about some distant acquaintance of ours who was clearly getting Botox. Mm. A favourite conversation of two friends. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Two women in their 30s, they're talking about who's got Botox or whatever. And, um, And my friend was like, oh, she looks amazing, but she doesn't look young. She looks rich. Oh, well, that's good, too. That's the right. So I was like, oh, yeah, I have been fooling myself into thinking that Botox and various injectables were about making you look younger. They're not about making you look younger. They're making you look richer. Yeah. There's a kind of like a that sort of smoothie, shiny thing. Yeah. It just makes you look like that you've like never seen polyester. Totally. Well, you know, in America, we're obsessed with teeth. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. so there's, you know like a level of tooth whiteness that I think people would feel like was to look younger, but really is just to look rich. And then also, you know, Invisalign is just huge, huge in the U.S. to the point where like I have so many friends who wear Invisalign and like we're in our early 40s. I don't I know they all had braces when they were teenagers because everybody middle class and up gets teenagers uh, braces as a teenager. And now they're all wearing Invisalign to correct something that I'm not really sure was yeah. even a problem. Oh, God. So I have quite a lot of experience with this oh. because I am. Um, I lost a tooth. <laughs> I lost one of my front teeth. Ouch! About three years ago, oh. um, it was like a like a rotted tooth from a bike accident when I was twelve, and then mm. it kind of came out. It was yeah. like really right, right this one right yeah. there, and um, because of like the way 
my mouth had changed and, and all various different things. It was a very, 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 very long process getting it replaced. It was very expensive. It was probably the most expensive Ugh. thing in my life. All told, about six or seven grand. Good Getting God. a front tooth replaced. I don't Shocking. recommend it. Yeah. Shocking. But um, so I was dealing with cosmetic dentists, which is actually why in my book, her parents are cosmetic dentists. Oh, yeah. You're like, I know a lot about this. <laughs> I know. I spent a lot of time asking them about, yeah, cosmetic dentistry. Um, and I noticed that I every time I went for a checkup, they would say like, listen, you know, there's more we could do. Oh, God. There's more we could do. There's more yeah. we could do. And then they kept showing me like, you see, and like, I know it's not perfect. Like, it's, this is obviously not, I'll post a picture of my smile up close <laughs> on my Instagram stories. It's not a perfect thing. It's as perfect as they can get for without me spending 15,000 pounds. Yeah. But I, and I said to them, I was like, look, listen, I think mouths are supposed to be kind of idiosyncratic. Yeah. I think they're supposed to look the a little different. Yes. And they looked at me. <laughs> Yeah, that's not like, what a cosmetic dentist thinks. No. Like, you saying that sentence in our office Yes, like going to put us out of business. Please leave. Yeah, well, I think teeth are um, such a, in the U.S., they're much more of a class and status marker. In mm-hmm. my book, The Matriarch is Obsessed with Teeth. Mm-hmm. But having your teeth be a certain way for a long time meant did your parents have the disposable income to give you braces in mm-hmm. middle school or not? And so teeth are like, a bizarre, bizarre obsession, but I still don't understand why everyone has Invisalign. We have um, a lot of dental trauma in my particular house. So my daughter is uh, a seven and a half. When she was like two, she ran into a coffee table and mm. it broke one of her teeth and impacted up into mm-hmm. her gums. Mm-hmm. So she's had like a lot of um, of teeth issues, but meaning one of her front teeth came down and the other one just didn't come down. So for a year, she only had one tooth and she found it very embarrassing to only have one tooth. Yeah. So uh, the a couple of days before Christmas, we had to take her into the dentist and they cut a slit in her gums and they were like, all right, the tooth is going to drop down. And it happened really fast. So it was like, you know, a month later, she had most mm-hmm. of a tooth. So now, you know, whatever, in the spring, she has most of them. We were lying in bed the other night and she looked at me and she said, Mommy, ever since you cut into my gums, my popularity at school has gone up one notch. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, I was like, where do I start with this? Looks are meaningless. Popularity is a shell game. Like I was so upset. <laughs> and then, of course, because it was bedtime and because I had no idea where to start, I said, that's great, honey. Good night. <laughs> I left. Like parenting fail 902 for me. But like <laughs> the fact that she thinks her teeth are part of her popularity and she's seven and a half. And she could be right. <laughs> You know what I mean? She could be right. I mean, they are, they are these awful little truth tellers. It's <laughs> they are awful. Children are awful. They, oh my God. I'm sorry you have to deal with that. <laughs> um, um, we have to wrap up. But before we do, I'd like to confess something. Please. I am the super wealthy. I found out the other day. Oh my God. Amazing. What happened? So I was Googling. I, was, I had to find an old article I had written for a reference. And I was, as always happens when you Google your own name and if you have any profile whatsoever, you are treated to the autocompletes. Oh, charming. (laughs) And generally it's like, Caroline O'Donoghue, husband, Caroline O'Donoghue, whatever, books. Uh, And today it was Caroline O'Donoghue net worth. Yes. Oh my God. You've made it. I made it. And I was like, let's have a look. Yeah. 12 million pounds. Oh my God. (laughs) 
gosh, congratulations. Thank you. It feels really great. Oh, wow. God, don't you wonder who is sitting in what room where calculating these from right? anything? Yeah. I was I was like, okay, are they like added all my books up to to have been worth 2 million each or something? Amazing. Like, what maths had to happen? And then I started thinking, I was like, right, okay, there has to for this Google autocomplete to exist. A few people must have had to have Googled it, right? Which yeah. is fair enough. I won't yeah. begrudge someone the curiosity. They're mm. walking around. They're, they're, they're listening to this podcast. They want to know how much money I make. <laughs> Fine. 12 million pounds. 12, 12 million, million pounds. pounds is the answer. Um, but then the idea that um, even if, even a tiny percentage of those people then found the 12 million thing on that net worth site yeah. and then believed it, yeah. which is also a reach because I don't think people are that dumb. But then if they looked at me and thought about me in that way forever. It's yeah. like, wow, everything I do must be felt through the filter yes. of that imaginary 12 million pounds. I think it means you're supposed to get Botox. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> I would have a nicer dog, you know? Right, a big one. Big ones. A big one. A big, big dog. dogs are classy. Big dogs are classy. What else is classy? Uh, not big handbags. Very true. Old Volvos. Oh, Volvos are classy? Old ones, yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like high, high wasp to have a very expensive car that's like a decade old. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, horses. Yeah, well, no. sure. Horses. Always horses. <laughs> There's the answer. Horses. <laughs> and that's the end of the list. It is. It is. Yeah. Once you have a horse, Botox, and straight teeth, you're good. <laughs> or a horse with Botox. <laughs> with horse teeth. Yeah. With horse teeth. Um, all right, Jenny. This has been great. So fun. Thank you. Your book is out now, I believe, Pineapple Street. It is on sale last week. And do you know what? Actually, I thought um, today and I wondered if it was a reference. Yeah. And if it's not one, you can just lie. Yeah. That whole thing of like uh, the very wealthy in the sort of 18th century, but how they would rent pineapples to take yes. to their parties. Yes. 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 It was a reference? Yes. Okay, good. Yes. I feel smart. Pineapples for the super rich. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. Thank you. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com